I welcome you again. Um, my name is Nono Kidane, and I'm calling from Priority Africa Network. Priority Africa Network is based in Oakland, California, and we do programs that promote Africa as well as working with African immigrant community groups and associations um, from mostly around the Bay, but also providing analysis and um, uh, opportunities for networking nationally and also internationally. Uh, this conference is also being hosted by the Black Alliance for Just Immigration, and I will give the floor to Gerald Lenoir to say a few things about Baji. I can't hear you, Gerald. Can you? Can anyone else hear Gerald? No. I'm sorry, I was on mute. Okay, please go ahead and okay. say something to Babaji. Again, I'm the Executive Director of the Black Alliance for Just Immigration, which was founded in April 2006 with the mission of engaging African Americans and other communities in a dialogue that leads to action to challenge U.S. immigration policy and the underlying issues of race, racism, and economic inequity that frame it. We grew out of uh, the Priority Africa Network uh, in the dialogues that they were uh, sponsoring to bring African and African Americans together to talk about cultural, social, and political issues that divide our communities. We are an education and advocacy Conference group. muted. We're an education advocacy group comprised of African Americans and black immigrants from Africa, Latin America, and the Caribbean. Uh, we sponsor trainings, educational events, uh, and we try to bring African Americans into dialogue with immigrant communities. Thank you, Gerald. So as I was saying earlier that we will begin the um, conference uh, presentation in just a few minutes. This session is being recorded. Um, for, for those of you who have not participated in these calls before, um, as I said earlier, they're organized by Priority Africa Network and the Black Alliance for Just Immigration in order to bring critically important analysis on race and immigration that are not being held elsewhere. Uh, we are fortunate today to be joined by Jackie Copeland Carson, uh, who is going to be our guest speaker. Um, as you may have seen, seen on the email, she's going to be speaking on a number of different issues. One is on um, the subject that she is an expert on, which is African immigrants, uh, Pan-Africanism, and the, the increased number of uh, black populations in the United States and how that is changing, uh, not just the demographic shifts um, across the, this country, but what that means to all of us politically. Um, she'll be talking about how to... Uh, change the, the concept of, of Pan-Africanism, both in the United States and globally. And lastly, she's, she'll be uh, talking about the Pan-African consciousness and examining misconceptions and stereotypes about the African diaspora. Um, Jackie, just to give you a little bit of, an informa of a bio on her, is the president of Copeland Carson and Associates, a global consulting firm providing philanthropy services on the areas of evaluation, strategic planning, and grant-making research and social media. She has almost 30 years of experience in the field. Jackie has worked uh, with philanthropists throughout the world in Africa, Caribbean, Latin America, and uh, European countries, assisting nonprofits and philanthropy development projects. She has served as vice president of the Philadelphia Foundation, Jackie has also taught philanthropy to graduate schools at the University of Minnesota at St. Mary's University. 
Her most recent book is called Creating Africa in America and um, Kenyan Diaspora Philanthropy, Documenting Innovative and um, the Innovation and Diversity in African Diaspora, diaspora Philanthropy and Other uh, Nonprofit Sectors. As a community activist and volunteer, she has been for, um, on the board of over 20 nonprofit organizations. She currently serves um, on the board of the African Women's uh, Development Fund and is co-founder, uh, co-founder of, and co-chair of the Pan-African Women's Philanthropy Network, of which um, I may add Priority Africa Network and the Black Alliance for Just Immigration are um, active participants. Jackie also holds two master's degrees, one in urban planning and the other one in cultural anthropology, uh, with a doctorate in anthropology from the University of Pennsylvania. Her bachelor's degree is from Georgetown University and um, in literature, uh, with certificate from uh, in African studies from its school on foreign uh, services. So very proud to have you as a gate speaker uh, today, uh, Jackie. So without much ado. I will open the, the, the floor for you, but just to give a little bit of, of a highlight in terms of why we wanted to focus on this issue, we know, or some of us know, that the population size of African immigrants in the United States is increasing, uh, particularly over the last two decades. Uh, it is probably the least understood and least mobilized community uh, when we're talking about our, um, immigration as a whole. Um, the African immigrant community also belongs um, or is a part, a subsector of the African immigrant, African American community, of which it is not quite closely tied in. Uh, Baji and Pan have held um, locally uh, for the past few years what we call the African Diaspora Dialogue to bring to um, better understanding and analysis on some of the divisions as well as the successes and, and the ties between the new and existing um, uh, black communities, one immigrant, one um, um, African-American. So I will say more about this perhaps later on, and I will open the floor now for Jackie to uh, speak on the issues uh, that I have highlighted. Thank you, Jackie. Jackie, are you on? Yes. I, hello? Go ahead, please. Yes, I was sa saying thank you, Nunu, for the introduction, and I appreciate both Pan Afri Pan, um, Priority Africa Network and the Black Alliance for Just Immigration inviting me to participate in a conversation uh, today. Fifteen or twenty minutes I have, I think, um, probably the most... Um, constructive contribution I can make to the conversation is to overview some key trends in African migration history uh, to the United States. And the first point I'd like to make, because I think this is often lost in media depictions of contemporary African immigration or migration in the United States, is that this is a centuries-old story that actually started in 1619. Uh, with the arrival of the first Africans to the New World um, during the transatlantic uh, slave trade, uh, which brought about 12 million uh, Africans to uh, the Americas, both the North, North and South America, 
um, through the 17th and 19th um, centuries. It should be noted, however, that from the Caribbean, um, also people of African ancestry from Europe and other parts of the world, there's always been a stream of more voluntary immigration of people of African ancestry uh, to the Americas. So a, a conceptual, uh, one of the conceptual um, frameworks that I think is helpful is to see contemporary uh, African immigration as the most current in a long stream of African migration uh, to the Americas. Um, and so therefore the diversity that we see today in the African diaspora in America is really nothing new. If you look at the historical record, the historical, um, the political, the social, and economic conditions have changed, but this is um, just the latest chapter in a very, very long book and story. Um, one of the key differences between contemporary immigration and previous eras of African immigration I, I think is, is the reasons that people, of course, have come um, to the United States. As many of you on the call may know, um, in the 1960s through 70s and a bit earlier, the African immigrant population in the U.S. was rather small and mostly comprised of students um, who, and professionals who came here with the intent of re returning to their countries. Uh, the uh, African independence fruits and benefits have been a bit complicated in Africa, to say the least, and um, civil unrest, political unrest, um, um, declining um, economic uh, f fortunes have, have along with um, some loosening up of prior very restrictive uh, U.S. immigration laws, uh, started to um, encourage a very large increase in the level of African immigration to the United States in, in the 1990s, which continues to this day. Um, conservative estimates are that there are about one million African immigrants in the United States, and I think that is a very conservative um, estimate. estimate. Uh, the largest um, groups are Nigerians, Ethiopians, and Somalis, but of course, every um, country in Africa is represented in the United States. Um, people tend to, to settle primarily in, um, in cities that have been uh, draws for contemporary African immigration, Washington, D.C., Houston, Atlanta, Minneapolis. And each of those um, cities has a somewhat um, unique um, ethnic profile of African immigrants. Uh, for example, in Minneapolis, the largest groups are Somalis and uh, Liberians, and in Houston, um, it is Nigerians, and Nigerians are the largest African immigrant group in the United States. Um, one of the things that we've seen in, an, in, the, um, in the current decade is that um, starting in the 2000s, people began migrating from these larger points of entree to secondary, smaller, to mid-sized cities in Ohio and Nebraska, Iowa, and Maine. Um, there is a degree of economic diversity, and this is another stereotype that we'll see uh, sometimes in the media. There's a mix of um, professionals of various backgrounds as, as well as uh, working 
um, class people from the, um, the among African um, immigrants. Um, and there are, of course, uh, there's a difference in terms of the experience and the economic opportunities um, available to immigrants versus refugees. For example, most of the Somalis um, living in uh, Minnesota are had settled, especially when they started coming in the mid-1990s as, as refugees. Uh, some of the common social um, challenges facing African immigrants are similar to those faced by immigrants across the bro um, board. Um, most of you on the call will probably know the fact that often ed educational credentials gained in Africa are not fully respected in the United States, so there's a degree of um, discrimination and often for um, first-generation um, professional new immigrants, a serious decline, um, a surprising decline sometimes in, in um, economic uh, resources. Um, there is um, also, a, a, um, in many cities, there is a um, level of conflict, um, especially in lower income communities with the African American community. Um, I would say that the glass is half empty and half full on that score because at the same time there are a range of organizations on both sides, African immigrant and African American, who are doing outreach and um, community building uh, together. Um, in addition, uh, the research is showing that after anywhere from five to 20 years after settling in the United States, African immigrants are starting to display some of the same chronic diseases that um, afflict African Americans and other people of color in disproportionate um, levels, um, most notably diabetes and hypertension, which are growing challenges in African um, immigrant uh, communities as well. Um, a lot of my work has focused on looking at the nonprofit and philanthropic sector in African immigrant uh, communities whereby uh, people upon um, settling here establish a range of voluntary associations um, for mutual support and self-help. And I would say especially over the past decade have started to uh, create uh, formal nonprofit associations from these voluntary associations that uh, focus on issues such as um, police profiling and discrimination, um, education access, health care issues, AIDS, HIV, uh, and um, tend to be focused primarily on national origins. So, for example, um, or even um, have a diaspora focus. And so, for example, there's an organization called the African um, Federation and a, a recent study that started to do kind of a, an inventory of this, these organizations has so far identified about 300 Pan-African nonprofits in the United, United States. Um, Pan-African nonprofits have a wide-ranging kind of profile. Some of them are regionally focused. So, for example, a Pan-African nonprofit in Minnesota focused on collaborative work um, among, among people of East African um, heritage and descent 
And then there are Pan-African organizations that have a continental focus or a focus on the African immigrant diaspora. And then there are those that are um, truly um, fully global and inclusive of both the, the old or original African diaspora in the Americas and elsewhere, as well as the new diaspora um, from Africa. So I consider that a really exciting um, development of the Pan-African, in the African diaspora nonprofit um, sector. The other thing you will see is in a number of these nonprofits are starting to create satellite organizations in Africa and elsewhere in the diaspora. So an organization, for example, that may have um, emerged in, say, Atlanta to focus on domestic violence issues um, that uh, replicates itself in um, Addis Ababa and um, exchanges both human resources and financial uh, resources, does funding, fundraising in the United States and use those, uses those resources to address um, similar social issues in the country of origin. So you will find also an increasing degree of specialization among these new nonprofits. Um, uh, one of a very exciting development to me is the, the emergence of Pan-African foundations um, that are based in um, primarily at this point in Africa, but also throughout the diaspora. And so, for example, the first continental Pan-African foundation was created 10 years ago by a group of West African women. It's been very successful. It's called the African Women's Development um, Fund. It, um, representing um, a trend, has a U.S. arm um, that also um, does fundraising and um, expands the networks of support for the African-based nonprofit organization. Another example is the Kenyan Community Development Foundation, also found, founded 10 years ago. It's the first community foundation homegrown in, um, in Kenya. Um, they, too, raise money in the United States, uh, both um, among, uh, from the Kenyan diaspora increasingly, but also from U.S.-based foundations and other donors. And they partner with locally based uh, nonprofits um, and traditional forms of philanthropy, such as Harambe in Kenya, to um, do everything from um, building schools, supporting educational and social services, as well as um, advocacy around a whole range of issues. Um, another trend um, that one will see is the growing, uh, well, there is a large amount of uh, remittances provided by African immigrants, which um, many of us in the field consider a component of philanthropy. In fact, the latest research shows that even through um, the worldwide recession, worldwide, um, people in the African diaspora uh, remitted uh, $40 billion back to Africa um, in 2009, which is when the latest figures are available. Uh, and um, of course, that is a, a major source of um, 
sustenance and survival in Africa and a good number of those dollars. And there's a, there are those of us advocating for um, use of some of those um, resources for um, community development as well as uh, family support uh, and development uh, as well. So uh, I, I'm I'm kind of out of time. I'm happy to continue to take um, to take some more questions or to continue to comment on some key features of the diaspora in the U.S. Uh, Nunu or Gerald, if you could give me some direction as to what would be helpful. One area that I would like for you to expand on, Jackie, is um, a frequently rising um, issue uh, that of confusion of, of identity when we refer to uh, in, a, in a generalized term, the African immigrant, and people have assumptions of this homogeneous community that is um, existing amongst us, sort of, uh, but, but you know from, from the work that you do and the work that we do that groups organize more around uh, concepts of national identity and, and, and the, the assumptions that are made when we frequently use the term African immigrant, whereas communities themselves may not see themselves in that way, um, if you could speak a little bit more about that. Mm -hmm. Well, I think identity is always malleable in some ways and defined based on not just um, history but contemporary social circumstances. So I think that one sees a wide range of trends, which I'd like to maybe mention um, as opposed to um, kind of um, – prescripting or saying what I think would be the appropriate response. I think um, that there are a range of identities at play that are somewhat contextual. So people may have a village and an ethnic identity that they hold um, at the same time that they have a national identity and even a global identity, and that those all of those identities can be held by one individual at the same time. Um, and which identity they make dominant depends upon um, the social context in which they are in to some extent. Um, what is challenging in the U.S. context is actually every country and culture has their own sort of um, um, approach to defining and organizing diversity. And in the U.S. context, uh, there is a kind of racializing that happens of people of African ancestry. And, um, and I believe that many, of, um, many African immigrants struggle with the um, the racializing into an African-American category, which is stigmatized in the U.S. because of um, longstanding histories of, of racism. And so you'll see a variety of new identities cropping up in part as a defense against um, the unfair negative stereotypes associated with African-American. Um, so... Um, you near their neo Nigerian is one of them. There is um, the sometimes referred to as the new diaspora, in contradistinction to the old mm -hmm. um, African um, diaspora. 
And I think these new identities represent kind of a yearning um, for people to define themselves on their own terms and avoid the, the racial or categories or the racist categories in the U.S. Um, at the same time, an understandable yearning can create unintentioned um, conflict or, or with um, the historic African-American community, um, which has a, um, a, 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 a represents a different historical stream in the broader in the broader diaspora. One of the other challenges is that various government entities and agencies, as well as private sector funders. Um, do um, see these communities' diversity, diversity in terms of national origins. Uh, for example, in Minnesota, when um, the African immigrant population started to grow, initially there was an attempt for the new nonprofit organizations to get funding based on their clan identity. Um, in the case of some Somali organizations or a village affiliation or an ethnic affiliation such as a Yoruba nonprofit or an Oromo nonprofit, for example. Uh, however, in the funding community and among uh, government agencies, those were not um, cultural categories with which they were familiar and it had the effect of nationalizing to some extent. Uh, these nonprofits, and so you started to see more Somali and more Ethiopian nonprofits as opposed to um, those defined in the ethnic terms of their home countries. Uh, so I think there are a variety of trends um, colliding. Uh, and this is a very dynamic era, um, dynamic arena where the whole with globalization is um, challenging. Um, old notions of blackness and Africanness, and we're living in the midst of a period where um, a variety of alternative options are being created. Uh, my own take on this is that there has always been a sort of broader cultural complex that has a lot of diversity within it that I call Pan-African and that it could include um, African-Americans, Nigerian-Americans, Nigerian -Americans, um, a range of diversities that have very, uh, might have um, very different historical and cultural experiences, but share some sort of common historical um, connection uh, to um, an African origin is, um, in my mind, the equivalent of Latino which is a similar category. In, in, in my field, in social science, these categories are called pan-ethnicities. Another one would be Asian-American or Asian, which includes a variety of different national origins and languages um, and historical experiences. And I think the future success of people of African ancestry, whether they call themselves black, African-American, uh, Ethiopian, or what have you, hinges on part, in part on being able to create a larger scale of identity, which is global, which provides a sort of a social structure uh, within a global economy. Um, if you look at many of our communities, 
across the world. And this is true whether you go to New York City or you go to someplace in Nigeria or um, the diaspora in Europe. There is a large degree of fragmentation and a, a great degree of challenge in um, organizing the diversity of our communities that has always existed into um, broader coalitions and social structures that are better able to compete in a global economy and advocate for policy that is in the best interest of, of our home countries and our, our communities. So in the case of almost every other diaspora, be it the Jewish diaspora, the Arab diaspora, the Asian diaspora, the Latino diaspora, um, communities overall within that broader diaspora are better off if there is the capacity to organize um, in these broader terms and do coalition building um, at the same time respecting the cultural and historical diversity that makes up the broader group. So I think that the challenge and the opportunity for the 21st century is for communities of African origin to figure out how to do both and, how to collect the, lo the local identities and the national identities to a global one um, for the benefit of all. Thank you, Jackie. I will um, follow with one additional question, and then we can open it up for um, those who are on the call to, um, as I said earlier, you have to push um, star five in order to raise your hand, and I will call on you. I can see uh, the callers online. I'll be happy to uh, unmute you as soon as you raise your hand. Um, the question that I wanted to ask you has to do with something that you mentioned in passing, that the stereotypes or the assumptions that exist particularly um, as relate to African immigrants. Um, you said that the type of jobs that are held by immigrants in the United States and the, and the changes in contemporary Africa have really um, challenged the existing stereotypes or assumptions that people have when they hear the word African or in what uh, Professor Ngugi has called the anthropological African. Uh, if you could speak a little bit in terms of how this has affected not only the conversations on race and immigration, because while on the one hand African immigrants are like any other immigrant coming into the country, alienated, separated from the cultural language culturally and in many other ways, uh, what makes us distinct um, is, is the fact that there's a racial category under which we come unknowing, unassuming about the context of, of how race is understood and, and how we fit into the, the reality of, of um, what, it, what is currently the United States, even in the day of Obama, if you could speak a, a few minutes about that. Mm -hmm. um, so I do think it's true that black immigrants um, do have kind of um, a double challenge of um, adjustment to both uh, American culture and bureaucracies, um, as well as notions of race and class. And I do think that um, the co contemporary African immigrants are in the midst of that process. Um, some of the dimensions of that is there still is, and I still think that is very prominent, a very um, 
it's not just an anthropological notion of African. It's an, I think it's also an anthropological notion of blackness, which is rooted in an, an old um, colonial um, definition of Africans as um, culturally inferior, intellectually inferior, um, which is part of the fundamental definition of blackness in the United States. And so that's part of the complexity, I believe, is that historically in the United States, uh, we had something called hypodescent, the one drop rule, whereby if one had one drop of African ancestry, one was um, socially stigmatized. Uh, and so I think that the the cultural categories of African and blackness are conflated in the U.S. Um, in the U.S. context. I think that subjects um, African immigrants to a wide range of discrimination um, um, based on uh, race that is sometimes unexpected and difficult to adjust to. Um, in terms of African-American and African relations, there is this um, common experience of racial discrimination that continues to exist in the so-called post-racial uh, post world. I think that that is an opportunity for joint uh, organizing and advocacy, um, particularly in um, a post-9-11 world uh, a wide range of people are finding themselves also subject to racial profiling in a variety of um, social arenas from workplaces to um, encounters with police um, in housing, um, et cetera. And so that's one of the unfortunate um, legacies of American history that is an opportunity for collaboration uh, between African Americans and um, African immigrants. Um, also, um, one of the things that I think is starting to happen as there, although there are conflicts between the two communities, there is uh, there are organizations that I mentioned before that are beginning to not just do outreach, but to exchange uh, social innovation, for lack of a better term. And so um, a variety of very um, traditional uh, self-financing and self-help um, um, practices among African immigrants. Um, they're called a susus among the Yoruba. Almost every African immigrant group um, has one of these sort of rotating credit and giving circles. Uh, we're finding that in communities that have some degree of um, African American and African immigrant diversity, um, there is an exchange of contemporary and traditional grassroots um, organizing and um, self and um, finance, social finance um, techniques, which is um, really promising, um, particularly um, in economic conditions where um, people are struggling in, in lower income neighborhoods without access to um, capital and credit. We're also finding, and if we just think about popular culture, we're finding a larger number of African um, immigrants, immigrants who are um, popular sports and entertainment figures, which still in America is um, a primary um, way to help slowly change the perception 
uh, other people. Um, also, um, we're finding um, an increasing number of institutions that are bringing together African immigrants um, with other diverse populations. Um, and so um, a movement um, to create um, or, or merge um, black student associations or at least collaborate with African student associations across across college campuses. And so one of the trends that I see, um, perhaps out of necessity, is more reaching out across the aisles. At the same time, there is um, continuing um, conflict and a need to do um, more work. But I think that's, frankly, the worldwide recession and need to pool and leverage um, resources and influence has created a window of opportunity for uh, more collaboration across groups that may be seen in the popular media as in conflict. Thank you very much, Jackie. And we now open it up for questions and answers and uh, as well as for comments. If you want to raise your hand, you could push star five, and I can um, see it online, and I'll be happy to recognize you if you have a comment or a question for Jackie. Gerald, did you have some comments or um, questions for Jackie while we're waiting for people to star five? Gerald, can you hear me? I'm sorry, I was on mute. Uh, if you could say a little bit about um, how African communities are now organizing themselves around the issue of immigration. What what I notice is there's a lot more activity over the last couple of years among uh, African immigrant groups around issues of my, my immigration and immigration policy. Before you, you respond, Jackie, we do have a question from someone from 601 area code, if you could please state your name and um, if any, your organization before you ask your question or make your comment. Okay. Right now or after Gerald speaks? Go ahead. Okay. Hi, my name is Felicia Kearney. I'm with um, the Mississippi Immigrant Rights Alliance in Jackson, Mississippi. And I just want to say, Jackie, thank you very much. That was very informative. And one of the questions I do have is, where do you see the, where do you see the future of African immigrants at this point? Well, I think communities will continue to grow, mm -hmm. um, you know, both documented and undocumented, and um, also through just the, the, you know, the natural birth rates of second, third generation uh, African immigrants here. Um, and so the opportunity, from my perspective, is growth in the, the black community. Mm -hmm. If we can... Um, if we can find a way to kind of get over um, the various divides, uh, some created, some self-perpetuated um, across our communities. There's also a growth in the Afro-Caribbean and Afro-Latin communities, which I know mm -hmm. aren't, they're, they're not the primary focus of the call. So I do, I do see a growth in um, the black diaspora in, in the United States which is an opportunity if we can identify um, common issues mm -hmm. of interest to uh, move 
public policy and foreign policy in a way that would be more supportive of our community's collective su success wherever people were born. Uh, so that's, um, I mean, that's what the uh, figures are, the demographic figures um, are trending towards increasing growth. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, so Gerald, um, in terms of what I know about um, kind of the growth of um, organizing in a nonprofit sector among African immigrants, those first genera the first generation of nonprofits and new immigrant um, communities tended to focus on more um, direct services or social services. And now I think across the country you're seeing a lot of these organizations focus on policy issues at a wide, you know, on a number of policy issues, including including immigrant rights, and doing that work in coalition uh, with others. Uh, so I do think that is um, that is true. Um, one of the newer trends I see is, um, in addition to doing that kind of organizing, say within your national organization, um, as, as I mentioned before, a movement towards collaborating at a larger scale with um, people of African ancestry from a variety of national and ethnic origins, and then even collaboration with a wide range of, um, of groups in the broader, broader community. Uh, the immigration advocacy organizations that I'm aware of for example, the African um, Federation, they also tend to have a, um, a kind of um, foreign policy um, slant uh, to the work. I think they're very well aware that immigrant, uh, immigrant rights in the U.S. are connected to um, broader trends in globalization and foreign policy. There's kind of the push factor that puts people in the United States in the first place. And so I think that a future trend is continuing to work on both the foreign policy end and the domestic policy end, the push and pull factors around um, immigration across the board. Thank you, Jackie. Um, if you want to make a comment or ask a question, you have to push star five to put your hand down equally. You have to push star five as well. The next question is from someone in the 415-487, um, area code 487 prefix. You are now unmuted. Go ahead. Hi. Could you also introduce yourself? Can you hear me? Yes. This is Sahar Driver calling from San Francisco, uh, Active Voice. Thank you, Jackie, for your comments. Um, they've been really helpful. I'm curious about something that you said earlier on uh, at the start of your talk about the differences in opportunities uh, available to refugees and immigrants. And um, I'd love for you to say a little bit more about that dynamic and uh, the conflicts that it produces, but um, ways that you see people attempting to bridge that gap or uh, break down uh, assumptions about privilege or non-privilege around that. Anything you have to say in relation to that would be really helpful. Mm -hmm. be before you respond, Jackie, I would like to give one or two additional people to make comments or ask questions so that you could 
respond to these and do a wrap-up with the August conference as well as um, the other upcoming teleconference that the uh, that will be hosted by uh, Pan and Balji. Okay. I'll let you speak to that one, okay? Okay. And is there anyone else who would like to make a comment or ask a question? Oh, we have someone in the 651 area code 662 prefix. Go ahead, please. You are unmuted. Uh, this is Penny Snipper with the Blue Cross Blue Shield Foundation in Minnesota. And I don't know if, um, Jackie, you addressed this because I came into this conversation a little late. I had the wrong uh, conference code. Um, I know you're very familiar with our communities here. And one of the issues that um, our community and our grantees are grappling with is that the 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 African immigrant communities are working together, but one of the biggest barriers is, is trying to work with the African American community here. Can you give us some, give me, give us some insights or um, ideas of how to these communities can overcome that barrier? You mean in terms of African Americans working with African yeah. immigrants? Yep. Okay, all right. Go ahead, Jackie, and I think we can, um, once you've responded to the questions, you could also um, tell listeners um, about the upcoming conference, and then we will take it from there. Okay. So um, on the question of conflicts or um, um, different kinds of opportunities or barriers, faced by refugees and immigrants. I think that's not so much um, specific to African immigrants and African refugees. I think that that, that can be um, a challenge in any immigrant and refugee population. And um, I think it manifests itself in a couple of different ways. Um, the um, in some ways, um, refugee status brings with it a level of um, institutional uh, support uh, for for refugees that is not available um, to especially um, immigrants who are not as well educated, and that can be a um, that can be a source of um, internal conflict that is sometimes missed by government agencies and funders. I always um, tell people there's diversity within diversity. And so just because, for example, you're working with the Somali community in Minnesota doesn't mean um, that um, the Somali community is monolithic, uh, has diversity within it like every other community, and one of the fault lines can be between those who have um, refugee status and the support that comes with that status. And um, also not just the support, but the documentation that comes with that status versus undocumented um, immigrants, um, in addition to the um, internal um, ethnic and class division that can be a source of conflict. Um, having said that, I would say that um, certainly in the cases of the communities I've worked with, over time for the sake of uh, survival, 
uh, the refugee and immigrant communities do find ways to um, um, create ties and present a united voice um, in advocating for their interest in the broader in the broader community. Uh, on the front of ways to promote more collaboration between the African American and the diverse um, African immigrant communities, that's a very it's very challenging and requires, I think, a multi-pronged strategy. I think first, overall, in the U.S., there's sort of a very um, mythical depiction of um, black history and African uh, migration history in the U.S. Um, overall. And so the story goes something like, you know, Africans were slaves, and then they came to the United States and became African Americans. I mean, I'm oversimplifying mm -hmm. it, yeah. but that mm -hmm. is pretty much the storyline. Mm -hmm. And there are a whole range of um, challenges that come out of that miseducation that most, um, I would say most African Americans, Americans across the board, but also second-generation African immigrants have. Um, first, it creates a degree of suspicion among both groups. I've worked. I worked with um, Sudanese, and um, I worked with refugee communities that mm -hmm. came to Minnesota um, from um, refugee um, camps in uh, Kenya. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, um, I was often told that um, the training in the refugee camps would warn um, refugees who were being resettled in Minnesota to, um, and other places to stay away from African-American communities hmm. because they were violent. Ah. And so you have some of the racial notions embedded, mm -hmm. not only in the history or inaccurate history taught in our school systems. Um, I would also blame parents for not knowing their history so that they can't mitigate the miseducation um, being promoted in, in the school system. I would say um, there is a racist undertone to many of the um, refugee resettlement agencies, mm -hmm. which misrepresent African-American communities' diversity um, from the point of um, settlement in Africa. So people often, you know, they can come with these notions and fears. Mm -hmm. Um, at the same time, uh, these are very desperate times in very low-income African-American uh, communities, and I think we have to own the fact that there is a level of crime. Yeah. It's certainly not, um, it's not uh, unique to African-American communities, mm -hmm. and the victims are primarily African-Americans yeah. themselves. Um, and so um, what I would say is instead of um, accepting mainstream notions of identity which suggest that there is an inherent and perpetual conflict between African-American and African immigrant communities, which often set up African immigrants as the model minority mm -hmm. and African-Americans um, as, um, well, let's say, uh, the not the preferred yeah. <laughs> uh, minority. Um, there are mutual stereotypes that are essentially racist. Mm -hmm. And so the whole notion that some African-Americans hold, that Africans are somehow inferior or the term they use is primitive, which is really interesting because yeah. as someone who has lived in Africa, that is often the same stereotype that exists of African-Americans. Mm -hmm. And so at some level, this is about um, 
deconstructing racism and um, not just educating ourselves about each other's um, communities um, and histories, but also recognizing that these longstanding notions of white supremacy and black inferiority are part of the barrier and that mm-hmm. at some level we we um, we perpetuate these notions in our own community without any mainstream help. Mm-hmm. In terms of what you can practically do, I think um, community outreach and self-education, uh, which teaches history in a way that also builds relationships with people, simple things like community dinners, right. um, community dialogues like... Um, Priority Africa Network and Baji are doing are really critical because they break down mm-hmm. the complex issues of history and racializing into really human terms and develop relationships among people that um, build community and the kind of trust that is necessary to improve um, cross racial, cross ethnic relations and collaborate on broader community issues. Dialogues that focus more on common challenges and barriers, such as access to quality education and health care, can be ways to demonstrate uh, uh, common issues that can become common agendas. Um, I would also like to end by saying that um, one of the one of the ways that this can happen is by participating in already established groups that are working on these issues. Um, I'm part of a group that I co-founded in Minnesota that has become national and even global called, um, that Nunu mentioned, called the Pan-African Women's Philanthropy Network. Uh, We're having a conference, um, a global summit in Minnesota from August 11th through the 13th, which will bring together um, 400, as our hope, participants to look at a wide range of issues around collaborating across the diversity of the um, African diaspora in the United States. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a a focus on using philanthropy, social action, and volunteerism for community change. Uh, And I do encourage you um, or anyone who's interested to attend that summit because it will bring together um, a number of leaders from across the country and the world who are working on these issues of building more inclusive um, African communities uh, regardless of country Mm -hmm. of origin or ethnic status. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you, Jackie. And could you give the website where people could go to? Oh, yes. Thank you, Nunu. It's uh, www dot palace that's p as in paul a as in apple w as in wish a as in apple s as in sam 2011.net power stands for pan-african women's action summit okay thank you thank you so much jackie this has been a wonderfully informative in, um, insights um, and new analysis that uh, we have been needing to hear. As I said at the beginning of the call, this is being recorded. A full recording of this will be posted on the websites of both Priority Africa Network, www.priorityafrica.org, 
as well as the Black Alliance for Just Immigration, blackalliance.org. We will also send them out on Facebook and Twitter for those who may be interested in listening to them and passing them on to people that uh, might be interested in hearing it. Uh, this concludes the end of this particular teleconference. There is another teleconference coming up, and I will open it up for Gerald to say a little bit more for those of you who, who might be interested in joining us in future teleconferences. So uh, next month, Thursday, April 28th, we're hosting, Baji and Pan are hosting the last of the four-part series of teleconferences, Black Intersections on Migration. Our guest speaker is going to be Jean-Bierre Williams-Comrie from the Latin American and Caribbean Community Center in Atlanta and New York. And she will talk to us about the trends in Afro-Caribbean and Afro-Latino immigration to the United States. As Nuna said, this is a series um, that is going to be available on our websites uh, for you to listen to. The first uh, teleconference was a presentation by Professor Rhonda McGee of the University of San Francisco Law School, and her topic was slavery as immigration, and it really looks at slavery in the context of forced migration. Um, so that was a very interesting uh, presentation and discussion. The second teleconference was titled African-American Migrations, the Exodus from the U.S. South, where we listened to a taped interview uh, with Isabel Wilkerson, the author of The Warmth of Other Sons, the epic story of Africa's great, Af of America's great migration, which, which she did uh, interviews uh, about uh, the impact of the great migration on the African-American community on the United States on a whole. This is an interview that she did with Tavis Smiley. Uh, so, uh, and then we had a discussion of that. So we invite you to join us for the last in the series uh, on Thursday, April 28th. If you are on our email list, if you got a notice of this uh, teleconference, then you will get a, a notice on the last one. If you're not on our email list, please email us at teleconference at uh, blackalliance.org and ask to be put on the mailing list. So thank you all for uh, coming to this teleconference. And thank you, Jackie, for such an insightful presentation. Thank you all, and the conference ends here. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>